Welcome to the podcast. I'm Shira Schoenberg. State marijuana regulators are on the verge of approving rules to launch the newest segment of the recreational marijuana industry, legalized home delivery. Here with me today are Chris Fevery and Devin Alexander, the president and vice president of the Massachusetts Cannabis Association for Delivery, a new trade group that represents delivery operators. Devin co-founded Rolling Relief, and Chris co-founded Your Green Package, which are both marijuana delivery services that are going through the licensing process. Thanks for joining me. Devin, delivery licenses are reserved for the first three years for social equity applicants who meet certain criteria showing that they're from communities disproportionately affected by prior enforcement of drug laws. In addition to graduating from the first cohorts of the state's Social Equity Program for Marijuana Entrepreneurs, you are a Black man who was arrested for marijuana possession as a high school senior. Tell us about your background and how you got interested in starting Rolling Relief. Yeah, so I've I've been a lifelong Massachusetts resident, and I've always been a cannabis advocate from an early age. Cannabis is never seen as a bad thing in my family, so um, I've always had an attraction towards it. Like you mentioned earlier, I was arrested as a senior for minor possession, and I had my dream of enlisting in the Air Force derailed because of that. I had to bounce on my feet and think around, so I enrolled in Quincy College for a couple of years, got an associate's degree in psychology. After that, I decided I didn't want to go to school anymore, and so I became a pharmacy technician at CVS Pharmacy right in Braintree, and I did that for several years. And I got to see firsthand just how devastating the opioid epidemic can be to my local community. And I saw veterans, I saw minorities, people from all backgrounds going in there and really just not being generally happy with the substances they were taking. And at that same time, um, Ermont Incorporated was established in Quincy at the same time as a seventh medical marijuana dispensary. And so I knew I had to do whatever it took to get into cannabis. And so I eventually was able to make the transition. And so working at Ermont, it was a whole 360 for me, just being able to work with a product that made people feel better and people were happy to just be there. And uh, so I started at Ermont right, before, right after the um, state closed the window for economic empowerment, which was only open for two weeks. So I was unable to receive that designation, which gives you priority licensing. So I knew I had to do whatever it took to get into the social equity program. And to me, the crown jewel of the social equity program was the delivery licenses because they were set aside for us for a certain amount of time. So I knew I had to do delivery. You know, I toyed around with the idea of a micro business initially, but then the micro business limits you in what you can do. If you have a micro business, that's the only license you can have. You can't have multiple licenses if you have one micro business. So the delivery regs came out in May and they just were not up to par in terms of being financially feasible. And so that really led to the creation of the Massachusetts Cannabis Association for Delivery. And from there on, we just had to figure out what we could do to really make it a more attractable license type to equity applicants. Yeah, we'll certainly get into some of those details. What exactly is Rolling Relief going to do? And since you mentioned the finances, how much does it cost to start a marijuana delivery company? Yeah, no, they they differ from the license type. Obviously, there's the courier model, then there's the marijuana delivery operator model. The courier model, you just need a location 
and you contract with adult use marijuana dispensaries and receive their products already pre-packaged and everything you don't sell at the end of the day, you give back to that adult use dispensary. With the marijuana operator license model, you have your own location and you go directly to marijuana cultivators and product manufacturers and you store your product overnight, you know, so obviously the marijuana delivery operator license is going to require more startup capital than the marijuana courier model. The marijuana delivery operator license is going to require anywhere in 800,000 to a million for startup capital. You know, that's just the reality of running business in, in the Commonwealth. So Rolling Relief, I'm very proud of the name. I love the name. I love the brand. Um, what we're going to focus on once we become operational is we're going to wholesale mostly from cultivators that are minority owned. We want to prominently feature minority owned cannabis and cannabis products. So when people buy delivery through Rolling Relief, they're going to be supporting two minority owned businesses at the same time. Great. And Chris, tell me about yourself, your background, and how did you get into your green package? So, yeah, I mean, you know, I really got into the delivery space, I want to say, eight months ago. I stopped working at my previous job. So I was doing uh, a tech sales at a startup called Mabel. Uh, So watched the company grow from zero dollars in revenue to two million, was the first account executive there. I had been trying to get into the cannabis space for a while, uh, I frequently was following Chanel Lindsay, was attending M- MRCC events, and then delivery, you know. That's the Massachusetts actually- Recreational Consumer Council? Yes, exactly. Uh, and originally, we wanted to do social consumption, me and my partner. And what we saw was that social consumption wasn't available. And I had worked on a previous startup, and Drizzly actually was one of our customers. Uh, and then I saw that, you know, Drizzly then went to form Lantern, and you know, Justin, who is a co-founder of Drizzly, I started a delivery incubator. And I said, well, you know, let's, let's apply to this. Let's see what happens. And immediately, you know, my first question was, how does this all work? Uh, because you have to have two drivers in the vehicle. How is this profitable? Uh, like, what type of delivery fees are you charging the customers at that point? And, uh, you know, but nevertheless, got into the incubator, went through. Um, and that's where I met Devin. That's where I started, you know, getting acclimated with the space. And then, you know, from there, really, your green package is born. Um, and yeah, I mean, we got our pre-certification, you know, knock on wood, hopefully we'll have, have our ACA uh, by next month. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. So you've been at the forefront of advocating for this second model of delivery license. You know, initially, you mentioned that the Cannabis Control Commission want to establish kind of a courier model where you're like, Uber Eats, you know, I buy marijuana from a dispensary and you come pick up the marijuana, bring it to my house. You were really advocating for this um, separate delivery license that would let a company warehouse marijuana overnight, then I guess package it, brand it. So Chris, why was that business model so important? And just take me through what it looks like. Practically, how is all that going to work? Yeah, so I mean, the need for the marijuana delivery operator license is really to protect social equity and economic empowerment applicants. Because, you know, to really talk about the courier license, uh, from a financial point of view, doing the on-demand model is not financially feasible due to the overhead costs that are imposed on the business. And so when it comes to the couriers, um, and this doesn't even take into account 280E. Uh, 280E, you know, pretty much wipes out the courier. And even if you became a courier, well, what is 280E? Why don't you explain uh, that? So 280E is pretty much uh, the federal government in terms of deducting taxes. 
So say for, like, say for example, you have a normal business, right? And you have your, your revenue, uh, you can, and you can deduct, deduct the cost of goods sold against that revenue and pay less in federal taxes. However, if you're transporting a federally controlled substance like cannabis, uh, or you're involved with it in any way, you can't deduct your cost of goods sold. So for example, if I make $1,000 in revenue, um, but it costs me $900 of labor costs to transport the product, I have to pay taxes on $1,000 and not $100 like a normal business. And so that's the effect of 280. As you can imagine, you know, for delivery companies, for specifically for the couriers, they can't deduct their cost of goods sold, which is their labor cost. And labor costs are the main cost of the business. So, you know, if I make, you know, $1,000 in delivery fees, I'm paying one, I'm paying all the ACA taxes and so on and so forth, but I'm also paying taxes to the federal government at that level, um, which would, would also all of the other costs added to the business makes that model nearly impossible uh, to, to operate, which, you know, that was one of the reasons that led us to really push for the marijuana delivery operator model, but also a few, you know, I've, I've had many conversations with different dispensaries. Uh, some are very nice and some are very much, uh, you know, give me 9.9% and I'll help you get an HCA or, uh, you know. HCA we, being a host community agreement. Yeah, host community agreement. Yeah. Or give, you know, hey, uh, you know, we want you, we'll partner with you, but the end of the exclusivity period, we want to buy you out. Um, and, I, and I've had a lot of these, because I mean, these conversations have been very blunt and, you know, for many careers, I, I mean, they could agree though the environment hasn't been as welcoming. And so the fear is now, say if I'm an SCNE, I get into the courier business. At the end of the exclusivity period, they could then at that point go ahead and, you know, say, buy Chris. And the orders are being generated from the retailer. So if the retailer is not providing you the orders or decides to say, you know, sever the partnership, your company is effectively dead. Um, and that's why I was very concerned when the commission um, pushed for decoupling the licenses where you can have three retailers and two delivery operators or delivery type of licenses, because now that threat is very real because they're not tied together. Where now any retailer, even if they have three locations can say, well, I'm gonna do delivery too. And you know, if they're using a courier, I mean, the courier is gonna get pushed out. I mean, that's why that's why there's, it's such, it's so important. So your concern is just that the retailers will try to essentially take over the delivery companies. You're worried about that relationship. Well, that relationship, um, can the career even be profitable? And and really the the that's really kind of what led to the evolution of the marijuana delivery operator license, where at the end of the day, the people who are participating in that license type choose their own destiny. So And that's yeah. the one where you can warehouse marijuana overnight and then sell it under your own brand. Exactly. exactly. So how does that work? Why does that why is that more of a profitable model? is profitable because so I, I can buy the flower directly from the cultivator and make 40 to 50% margin on the flower. And so instead of, you know, charging an exorbitant delivery fee, I can then charge, you know, make more margin per dollar of flower. And therefore like the financials just work out much more in that, in that favor. And also you get to own the customer data. So in terms of remarketing to those customers, you have control over that. Um, in terms of, you know, building your own brand, you more so are able to do that on those on you, you know, in that license type. And that's why, you know, it, it's just much a much better place because at any point in time, no one can say, hey, you know, we're severing the partnership and your business is dead. 
you, you're in control of your own destiny and make, making sure that your customers are happy. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, the storage is, is very similar. I mean, you purchase, you purchase the cannabis from a cultivator, you use a, a, an approved third-party third party transport like Plymouth Armor Group. You know, they pick up the cannabis from the cultivator, bring it to uh, the warehouse site, load it into the warehouse. Uh, and we really like to call it a warehouse because it's just a storage, a storage area. It's very similar to a retailer. And then in the mornings, the, the drivers would take the products that's ordered, put them in the vehicle, and then go out and deliver all day. Um, it's just it's just much more. One is there's more potential for that business, but it's also you know it, it's it's really just a much more real business for SEs and EDs. And one barrier that a lot of marijuana establishments of all types have run into, but especially those run by social equity applicants who are often starting out with less cash is finding a community that will sign a host community agreement to let them operate there. Devin, what is the host community agreement process for delivery applicants and do you anticipate having similar difficulties? Well, the host community, for those who don't know, host community agreements are contracts that are five years in length and any marijuana establishment in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts has to enter into these agreements before they become fully operational. These contracts, they ask for 3% of your annual gross sales not net growth. On top of that, you'll have some municipalities that'll offer, oh, you want these contracts, we're gonna want a fire truck, we're gonna want a playground, and we're gonna want you to donate to this nonprofit. In the town of Salem, you have to donate to a nonprofit in order to get a host community agreement. And there's actually a federal case going between the town of Salem and a marijuana establishment right now over host community agreements. some of these towns, they put caps on the number of how many host agreements they're gonna hand out or they're gonna sign. So the marijuana delivery license hasn't even had their applications released yet, but adult use sales have been going on since 2018. So there's been a lot of people who have had a head start in obtaining these host community agreements before these marijuana delivery operators, which is really gonna make it very difficult for them to get up and operational municipalities need to be educated on what this delivery license means in helping the state achieve its equity goals. They need to realize that we are not in the same class as retailers. We are a non-storefront. We do not cause foot traffic. We do not cause abnormal vehicle traffic. We are giving people incentives to stay in their homes. They need to open up the state. You know, there's a lot of cities and towns that still have moratoriums in place where marijuana establishments cannot set up because they have these moratoriums in place. Like I said before, we passed this question in 2016. Sales have been going on since 2018. But most of the South Shore of Massachusetts still has moratoriums in place, which has to lead us to looking out in the other parts of the state, Western Massachusetts, Towns that really make it difficult to run delivery operations of because when you want a delivery business, you want to be at least in an hour proximity to a highly populated area. You don't want to be driving two hours across the state all the way to Boston to make marijuana deliveries. Just to clarify, where can you deliver to? Are there restrictions on which communities you can deliver marijuana to? Any cities and towns that do not have moratoriums. If a city and town has a moratorium in place, we cannot perform deliveries to that town. That has been a big misconception that has been floated around. So the space is really limited in the areas in which we can deliver to. Now take for instance, a state like New Jersey, which just recently legalized back on November 3rd, when they have delivery companies, 
they have moratoriums set up, but those delivery companies can deliver into moratoriums because one, they're not causing foot traffic, they're not having a negative impact on the communities like some of these brick and mortars have had in terms of causing adverse traffic. And speaking of municipalities, uh, retailers and also municipalities have really opposed allowing this type of delivery license that will allow you to hold marijuana overnight. Um, their argument is that this essentially turns you into a retailer, but because you have lower operating costs, you can deliver all over the region rather than, you know, just to the small number of people that can get to any given store, it becomes unfair competition. Um, so Chris, how do you respond to these concerns that A, you'll hurt the existing retailers and B, municipalities will get lower tax revenues because of that? Yeah, so, you know, my response to that is every retailer in every city and town has an opportunity to partner with a courier. It, you know, it's, it's if the retailer decides not to, because I think delivery is, if you look at markets like, you know, California, Nevada, and so on and so forth, delivery represents 20 to 30% of the market. So if they want access to that market, they need to partner with a courier and start serving it and do marketing and so on and so forth around it, which would actually result in an increase in tax revenue for the towns. Uh, you know, I, I think there's maybe a bit of stubbornness to partner with couriers, but, you know, I've talked to a few retailers that are definitely very open to it. And, you know, I think the, the retailers that approach it with an open mind are, you know, going to realize that. And I, and I think, you know, the market has to evolve, right? Like, you know, when Netta came to town and because Netta was pretty much the only one there, everyone went to Netta. You would, try, you know, those people going from, from New York to go to Netta, from Rhode Island to Netta. Um, but as more dispensaries got added across the state, you know, you didn't have to drive an hour to go to Netta. You can say, hey, well, I'm gonna go 10 minutes, you know, south and go to In Good Health. Uh, so I think for, for the retailers in the market, they have to understand that the market's gonna continue to evolve. I mean, I think there's like, 40 more dispensaries in the pipeline to be opened and there's going to be more competition. Uh, but if they partner with a courier, if they run a lean operation, then, you know, they should be successful. And also the towns would also generate more revenue. Uh, but, you know, that, that's really my response to it. So. And Devin, you mentioned this whole issue about, you know, not having to drive all across the state. Um, it raises some other concerns that have been brought up about this issue of the Amazonification of the delivery. That's the idea that because a delivery company can drive throughout the state, you can have you know two or three companies with centrally located warehouses that can basically control the market. Um, now the CCC has started to put in place some restrictions to try to prevent that, but do you think there will be a diverse market of delivery companies or is it something that one, two or three companies will control? It's going to be diverse 100% if they were able to get operational. If we can get over the existing barriers of the host community agreements, these delivery companies are going to be owned by mostly minorities. And that's just going to be very diverse because there's very few minority ownership in the cannabis space in Massachusetts. And as far as the Amazon thing goes, we've had our license type knocked down to only two locations. When you want a license type in any other class, product manufacturing, retail, cultivation, you can have up to three locations. You want a dispensary, you can have three dispensaries. You want to do cultivation, you can have three spots. But if you want to run the marijuana delivery operator license, you can only have two warehouses. They tried to knock it down to one, but thankfully some of the commissioners have spoke up for us and got it bumped up to two, you know? And that's what, like just to mention, in the state, 
we are in the state. We cannot cross state lines. It is federally illegal. These brick and mortar retailers, people can come from out of state and they can come to them. So their customer base is substantially much larger than us. And Chris, building on that Amazon uh, question, in addition to the concern about a couple of companies controlling a market, you also have concerns about these third-party technology platforms, you know, Envision, Grubhub for restaurants that could also control the market. You know, there's some thoughts of maybe they would try to give favorable product placement to companies that contract with them for marketing. Um, and again, the CCC has been trying to restrict this, um, but do you see that third-party technology uh, company issue as a legit concern? You know, what's the relationship gonna be between those technology platforms that help you sell the marijuana and the delivery companies? Yeah. you know. Personally, and, I, and I've talked to some of these providers, I don't think it's a concern. Uh, I think it's kind of a, one, it's a far-fetched idea that, you know, all right, you're going to take, you know, a third, like an E, like, for example, E's in California, they're, they're obligated to vertically integrate, right? And I'm so, sorry, you're talking about E's being one of the largest delivery companies yeah, out the there. Largest, you know, technology, technology platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for them to come to Massachusetts, they would need to buy a cultivation facility, buy a product manufacturing facility, then invest or buy out a few EEs and- Equity and entrepreneurs. Then, yeah, sorry, social equity entrepreneurs. And then, you know, get a fleet of 300 trucks and try to take, like, it, it's almost, and if you just analyze the cost of the business, I mean, they'll just burn so much money, they, they'll fail. So, you know, and- most EEs that I've spoken to aren't, you know, they aren't susceptible, susceptible to those types of deals. Um, and, and I think, you know, also from, from an investor standpoint, from some of these third-party platforms, they have, I mean, this cannabis is still a scary thing. So to actually own an operation that's actually handling the cannabis for them, for the third-party tech platforms, the reason why they're third-party tech platforms is because they, they kind of, a hands, they have a hands-off cannabis approach. Um, so it'll be a, a big change in ideology. And, and to, to be honest, I don't, I don't think any platform would be really effective in conquering the entire market because at the end of the day too, it's, you still have the retailers in the market that use their platforms and they offer delivery. So, you know, for, it's kind of a far-fetched idea. And even when people bring it up, it's kind of like, okay, well, you know, it, yes, it could theoretically, it, it, it could happen, but in the, the reality of this, the ground situation, I, it, I think is a very unlikely scenario. And at the end of the day too, third-party tech platforms are also, uh, I mean, they're, they're still subject to the, to the caps on, on the amount of licenses. Again, and it wouldn't make sense for them, okay, if they buy out a social equity applicant and, and they can't even buy anyone out during the exclusivity period uh, to, to the ownership threshold that they would want, which is probably like eight to 90%, um, but they're blocked by that, but they would have to buy a social equity applicant in Springfield. And then, you know, it doesn't even make sense to go drive from Springfield to Boston to do a delivery. So you're and, saying it's pretty unlikely. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, you know, we're, we're really reaching for a scenario uh, to make it happen, but you know. So, so let's turn to a couple of more fundamental basic questions then. Yeah. A couple minutes we have left. Start with you, Chris, on this one, safety. How do you make sure that your drivers are safe and that the marijuana gets safely to the, you know, 21 plus consumer that it's supposed to go to. Yeah. So uh, the way we're playing on doing this portion is 
you know, one, there's a pre-verification process that's required by the commission. So the person has to, before they even make an order, they have to submit a picture of their face and also their ID. Uh, once they're approved by our team, then at that point, the driver who will be in a CCC approved vehicle uh, that has cameras on the product in the driver area, they also have body cams that's monitored by our dispatch. They will drive out to the customer's location. Uh, they, when they exit the vehicle, they will you know, check the customer's ID, see if it matches the, the face on the ID on file. Uh, from there, they'll you know, scan. Uh, they'll, mostly what we want is something that, you know, like a QR code on their phone that they'll scan, we'll get the order and then deliver it to the consumer. Uh, at that, you know, also our drivers, we want them to carry a remote dispatch uh, button. So the most exposed point for the drivers when they're exiting the vehicle uh, so we want to have them the, them to be equipped with a remote dispatch button. Also, they have, they'll have a panic button in their vehicle in case anything were to happen. And our team also will be checking in with our drivers uh, every 30 minutes, which is also required by the commission. So, yeah, mm -hmm. that's kind of how we're looking to maintain safety for, one, the customer, but also uh, our drivers as well. And, Devin, last question to you. Uh, the Cannabis Control Commission is uh, supposed to be approving the final rules for these delivery licenses on Monday. How soon can somebody buy marijuana from the safety of their own home? Through delivery, it's gonna take some time. So even though we're gonna be voting on these final regulations on November 30th, we've received word that these applications won't become available to the first quarter of 2021. So even then, once the applications come out, we're still gonna to have to go through a lengthy municipal and state process of inspections, agreements. So if I had to guess, probably next next summer the earliest and that's and that's just being you know that's being positive about it it might be extended even further than that that's just the way of massachusetts cannabis works and you can read more at commonwealthmagazine.org chris fevery and devon alexander of the massachusetts cannabis association for delivery thank you for joining me on the podcast thank you sarah